Well, good morning. It is great to have you here. If you're joining us online, welcome as well. Uh, my guess is that in your life, you have noticed that there are some people that are really good at complaining. Complaining about just about everything, right? Uh, uh, the weather, the same person, the weather's too hot or the weather's too cold or the music's too loud or the service is too slow and I can't believe it's taken more than three minutes for my pizza to be delivered, right? Or why in the world has my cell phone dropped coverage again? Like, people, we have devices that we can connect with people pretty much anywhere in the world that we carry around in our pocket and yet sometimes we complain about the craziest things. It's almost as if there's some people in life that like got a degree in complaining, right? They're just really, really good at it. And I'm not going to point any fingers uh, at the people in this room, but there are some of you in this room that you're really good at complaining. Like, you might even say you've never met a situation where you couldn't complain. So, so really quickly, um, a showing of hands um, if the person next to you is good at complaining. <laughs> a couple of you are honest, and a, co a couple of you will pay for that later. But... Um, I had a friend that recently posted on Facebook, and basically they asked, they just threw out the question, they said, what are you tempted to complain about a lot? What causes you to complain? And got dozens and dozens and dozens of comments, uh, people, com what they tend to complain about. And, and when you go through and you look at the list of complaints that he received about things that people would complain about, the, the commonality of those complaints, it's pretty interesting uh, what people tended to complain about. And, and what's really interesting is wasn't so much what people complained about, but there were oftentimes people complaining about the same thing on opposite sides, right? There were a bunch of people that were complaining about their job. Like how they don't like their job and how they don't like the people that they work with. None of these were people from our church, but people that don't like the people they work with or they don't like whatever. Um, and then on the other side, you had an equal number of people that complained about the fact that they just didn't even have a job. So you had, I don't like my job, people that just wanted a job. There were other people that complained that they have too much to do. Like they talked about how their to-do list has to-do lists. And then on the other side, you had people that were complaining about being bored and never having anything to do. And then you had people that complained about people that complain about being bored. <laughs> and if you just look at some of the w what women had to say, and they had a lot to say, and I'm just, just reporting the facts, not making any comments there, but, but there were ladies that complained about the fact that they couldn't have children, and then there were ladies that complained about their children. And then husbands, we didn't look so good. There were complaints about what husbands did and what husbands didn't do and what husbands always were doing. And then there were women that complained that they didn't have a husband. It was just back and forth. And a lot of ladies complained about housework, which I don't blame them, right? Like, that's no fun. Men, we had some things we complained a lot about. Men complained about traffic, and bad drivers, paying for parking, and potholes. Men, we got, we got really deep. <laughs> a, lot of, a, lot of real, a lot of real substance with the things that bothered us. Um, there were a few men. There were a few men that complained about things like not having enough money or not having enough time. Uh, my personal favorite of all of the complaints that came in uh, was the individual that complained about people that put the toilet paper on the wrong direction. <laughs> and, and I think we all agree, right? We all agree... Over the top, right over the top. Anybody that says the other way, like, can't even trust them, right? 
There's a really good chance, had the tablets been bigger when God was giving the commandments to Moses, like the 11th commandment would have been over the top. I think as a church, if we establish today, together, over, never under, if we band together and boycott establishments, mock our friends that do it wrong, we can be the change we want to see in the world. Right? Over the top. But what we find is that, that we, we all tend to complain, and, and we tend to, when we complain, we tend to think, well, what's the big deal? It wasn't right. And, and everybody else is complaining, so what's the big deal with just complaining when something's not the way we prefer? Well, last week we started looking and talking about the fact that we need to, to cut the bull. And, and what I want to say is that we need to be looking at areas in our lives that if, we, if we're not really honest and if we're not really careful, if we don't take care of these things, they can destroy us and really mess up our lives. And so last week we started talking about excuses and our, our tendency to make excuses for the things that have happened in our lives. And next week we're going to talk about fear and then we're going to wrap it up the last week talking about comparing. But this morning we're going to talk about complaining. And, and maybe that doesn't seem like a big deal, right? I mean, if we just complain a little bit or, or maybe we complain a whole bunch when it's necessary. But the problem is we have to understand that, that complaining will simply make us miserable, and it'll make those people around us miserable. And if you don't find a lot of people around you, there's a really good chance that you either complain too, no, too much or you need better deodorant. It's one of the two. <laughs> when we look in the Bible, we find a lot of examples of people complaining. And every time we find them complaining, it never helps. In reality, every time they complain, it just delays. It oftentimes just prevents God from able to do what he wants to do and to bring about the best in their lives. In the book of Job, we find a guy who probably had the greatest reasons to complain in the history of the world. In fact, Job, this guy, he gets super sick. His kids die, his house collapses, and his wife is horrible to him. He had all kinds of reasons to complain, and actually he begins to complain. It's on the, message, it's on the screen, and it's in your message notes. This is what... Job said. Job says, I loathe my very life. Therefore, I will give free reign to my complaint and speak in the bitterness of my, or out of the bitterness of my soul. Job is basically saying, I hate my life. And he's now saying, I am not holding back anymore. He's like, watch out because I'm about to just let it rip. I am ticked. I am mad. Life hasn't been fair. He's like, I'm about to blow up Twitter and everybody be ready. <laughs> and Job gives us a warning that he's about to totally complain, and yet he's not the best complainer in the Bible. The award of best complainer has to go to a group of people. The early Israelites in the Old Testament are by far the greatest group of complainers ever. And if you know their story, it's a crazy story. And it ends with or has a lot of complaining throughout it. The story of the Israelites basically goes like this. They get captured and they go into slavery to the Egyptians. They're slaves to the Egyptians for hundreds of years. And the entire time that they're in this slavery, their prayer, their primary prayer again and again and again is, God, get us out of here. God, would you please get us out of here? God, would you please get us out of here? And eventually God raises up a leader in Moses. And through Moses and through communication with Pharaoh, God ends up sending 10 miraculous plagues that eventually cause Pharaoh to say, like, hey, okay, you guys can go. 
So Pharaoh says, you guys can go, and he lets, the, he lets the Israelites go, and they barely get outside of Egypt, and all of a sudden Pharaoh changes his mind. He's like, wait, we really liked having slaves. Let's go get them. And so he sends his army, and they go out to get the Israelites and bring them back. And as the army begins to pursue them and as it begins to close in, all of a sudden the Israelites find them surrounded by water on one side and mountains on another side and the Israelite army coming and they're freaking out and God's like, I got you. And God parts the Red Sea and opens it up and the Israelites, millions of them, walk across on dry ground. They get through the other side and the army comes into the, into the sea and are about to attack them and God just closes up the Red Sea and the water just washes all of the army away. And now suddenly the Israelites find themselves free on the other side of the Red Sea, released from the slavery. And God begins to feed them miraculously by dropping food from the sky. God causes water to come shooting out of rocks. Their clothes never wear out, and they are headed to the land that God has promised them. And after all that God has done for them, listen to what they say. It says, in the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But we, but we have now been brought, you have brought us into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. If we read on, they just, they just complain. They're like, we're going to die. We're going to die. Just, we should have stayed there. We would have rather died back in Egypt. They go on to talk about how they're gonna, their kids are going to be stolen and how their wives are going to be taken away, and this is the worst thing that could have ever happened to them. And here's the deal. If in our lives we want to be divisive and we want to hurt God and we want to drive other people away and we want to hurt ourselves, th then we just follow what the Israelites are doing. And we just follow what most people do, which is just to complain. And rationalize and excuse it away that hey, everybody's complaining, so we might as well jump in. It's really not that big of a I mean, how much of a destructive na nature can complaining be in our lives? But if you and I desire to discover a life that is joyful and find ourselves surrounded by friends, to be able to overcome difficult situations in our life, we have to be honest and we have to cut through the bull and we have to stop complaining. Because complaining will never help you get ahead in life. It will never produce anything good in your life, and so we have to cut the bull and stop. Because these guys are thinking it would be so much better to be slaves than to be free. These guys are thinking it would have been better to die than to have God provide us food every day. So let's try to unpack complaining a little bit and the dangerous why it's dangerous. Two principles out of the Old Testament that reveal this. Two, two principles that reveal that complaining comes at a cost. See, we don't have to stop complaining. You and I can choose to continue being frustrated with life and the situations that we come to, but we have to understand that if, we, if we're going to complain, we have to understand there's a cost. And when we look at the Israelites and their story and the story of Moses, we see that the first cost of complaining is that complaining offends the heart of God. If you have kids, or if you've been around kids, you've probably seen this play out, where, where there's a parent that, that plans some sort of an outing or some sort of an activity, and they, they put lots of thought into it, and they want to put a lot of effort into it, and it's going to be fun, and their kids are going to have a great time, and they, they made all of these plans, and the kid's like, I'm bored. This is lame. I don't want to be here. I wish I was with my friends. You're like, 
you ungrateful little brat. Right? Like, so, so if that's how we feel or that's what we observe when we see that in kids, how do you think God feels when we complain? Numbers 11, 1 through 2, we find out how God feels. Now the people, the people complained about their hardship in the hearing of the Lord. And when he heard them, his anger was aroused. Then fire from the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outskirts of the camp. Now, this is the Bible. And so the writers had to be polite and clean. And so they said his anger was aroused. Now, if we were to translate this today, if we were to translate this today, I think we would say that God was ticked off. God was mad. I, I would even wager to say, and this might get me in trouble, God was pissed. And you might say, well, pissed sounds like a little strong. No, no, no. I think it's right on because he brought the literal heat. <laughs> right? Like, he, fire came down and consumed parts of the camp. I just, if you ever come home and the outside of your lawn has been torched... <laughs> You are complaining way too much. <laughs> that, the principle's pretty clear. Complaining offends the heart of God. And what we have to understand is that what we do have has been provided by God. And when we complain about it, it makes sense that he would be offended. So if we get after it and we start complaining, oh, I don't like my house and I don't like my car, and I don't like my dog, and I don't like my guitar, and I don't like my spouse, and I don't like my lawnmower. We sound like a country song, <laughs> and we hurt the heart of God at the same time. Because he's provided what we have. There's another time where Moses comes to God, and he's whining about how the fact that the people are complaining to him. And God's like, listen, I recognize that the people are complaining to you, but they're, they're just complaining to you, Moses. They are complaining about me. And God's like, it hurts my heart. It hurts my heart because I have provided those things that they have. And God takes it personally. And we have to recognize, we have to count the cost, that when we complain, we're hurting the heart of God. The second cost that we have to count when we complain is we have to recognize that complaining can result in significant consequences. I mean, just on a really practical level, not even on a spiritual level so much, but when, but when you and I complain, when we complain again and again, we will drive people away from us and out of our lives. There's a saying that I think should probably be put on a, on a pillow or crocheted into an afghan or something like that and hung on a wall. Um, but basically, the saying is this, is that complainers essentially have spiritual bad breath. Somewhere that should be hung on a poster um, to remind us. Like, it's nasty, but it's a really good point, right? Just think back in your life when you've ever been talking to somebody that bad breath, right? And you're in the middle of that conversation, and all of a sudden they start talking, and you're like, back up. Woo. Or you, get to, you do the side thing so that it's like out of the, right, firing zone. But you're talking to somebody, and they have bad breath, and so you just take a step back. And maybe you guys are all acting like I'm the only person, so maybe you're better than me. Um, <laughs> but it's like, I either want to hand you a mint or I'm just going to step back, and stepping back seems better. 
And if you and I complain all the time, we will literally just drive people away. They'll be like, yeah, no, and they will just step back. And if we continue to complain, they will just step back, and they will just step back, and eventually we will find ourselves all alone. And God will respond in a very similar way. He won't step away from us, but he will step back. When we complain again and again and again, he takes a step back, and he ultimately he doesn't give the people the very thing that they were hoping for most. He didn't go away. He just removed his blessing. Here's what it says in Numbers 14. It says this, How long will this wicked community grumble against me? I have heard their complaints of these grumbling Israelites. So tell them, as surely as I live, not one of you will enter the land. I swore with uplifted hand to make your home. God is basically saying, listen, that thing that you wanted, you don't get it. And you don't get it anymore because you can't stop whining. You have simply complained so much about the person that is going to bless that I can't bless any longer. God's like, I have to hold my, back my blessing. I can't give you that thing that you wanted the most. Now, I, I can't prove to you that this is going to happen in your life. But I think it's pretty clear that we can look at it. There's a pretty fair chance that if there is something in your life that God wants to bless you with, that you really, really want, that God would love to give it to you, but according to this story, if we read into the story and what is happening here, that what God did was God says, you know what? Too much. So no. Your, your whining is out of control. So, so that land that I really, really, really want to give to you, the blessing that I really want to pour into your life, I can't. He's like, you got to learn. You can't just keep complaining against the one that blesses you because at some point, I'm not going to bless you and give you the things that you want the very most. And you and I in our lives, we can choose to complain and we can choose to gripe about things. And honestly, you can complain and you and I can find things to complain about if we want to complain about it. If you want to be bitter, if you want to be critical, if you want to be negative, you don't have to look very far or very long to find something to be bitter and critical and negative about. There's actually a technical term called confirmation bias. And it, and it goes like this. If you've got a preconceived idea of something that will be wrong, you will be able to search it out and find it. And you will actually interpret new information based on your preconceived biases and find that thing that you want to find that's wrong. So if you want to be critical and find the wrong things, you will be able to find them and prove your preconceived biases. So let's say, for example, somebody says, you know what? I don't like a church that has a band that really rocks and music that really fills the room and a great big LED screen. And they walk into here. Guess what? They'll probably find that it's really distracting and not very honoring to God based on their preconceived bias. And then as soon as those start to be fulfilled, all of a sudden they begin to find oh, lots of other things they don't like. Well, that was true, so the stage is too high and the seats are too soft, the service is too short, the preacher, way too young and handsome. Like, they find things. <laughs> quickly, they can find things. Maybe you really like Silver Creek and you're like the way that we do church this makes sense And you go on vacation and you're like man if a church isn't doing it like Silver Creek It's not gonna work and you walk into a church and they're singing hymnals or you know if you don't know what a hymnal is It's a, song, a book with songs in it 
We, so if you've been at Silver Creek very long, you don't know what that is. Anyway, and their their whole band consists of one guy at a piano and another guy that's like counting it for you, like you know. And you're like, how does anybody connect with this? Your preconceived bias begins to cause you to think this is not going to connect with anyone. How could anybody find God in a place like this? And yet God is so much bigger than style and so much bigger than songs and so much bigger than music. But we can fall into thinking that church has to function a certain way and if it isn't doing it the way that we thought it could do, then we think, oh, that can't accomplish much. Nobody can grow spiritually in this. And based on our preconceived bias, we find the things to complain about. Maybe for a young lady, she's in a relationship with a guy, and, and he treats her real poor, and all of a sudden, she became, comes out of that, begins to have this preconceived bias that all men are just jerks. And then every guy that she meets beyond that, she is able to find and pick apart that guy. Throughout the rest of her life, she always comes into it with the conclu conclusion that, that no men are good. She's already made up her mind. She'll, she's going to find something that's wrong in them. And her confirmation bias is proven. Sociologists are studying our culture and recognizing that the more and more we are blessed, the more and more that we have, the more and more we are becoming critical. And actually, as generations are growing, we are becoming more critical and more negative and complaining even more. One sociologist began talking and kind of explaining that he believes it's due to the fact that families are getting smaller that are sort of contributing to that entitlement mindset. And this isn't a knock on small families. or It just it points out how it's leading to sort of this negative and critical mindset. My wife, Julie, and I, we have three kids. Not really kids anymore, kind of getting bigger anyway. Um, I think back to our dinner process when they were little. And if we were to say at dinner, hey, what do you guys want for dinner? What do you guys want? Like with three kids, we have a shot at actually being able to provide what they want. And if all three want something different, you know, we could, every third day we could actually do it. Maybe, right? But sometimes we wanted something other than tater tots, right? So you like, <laughs> if you've got three kids, you can kind of adjust to what they said. But if you have an even smaller family, let's say you have just one kid, now we can meet that kid's request anytime we want. And so what happens in that particular scenario is that kids learn that dinner is basically whatever they're hoping for. And in our lives, when things are whatever we're hoping for, we begin to think that's just the norm. But think if there's a bigger family. Let's say there's six kids in the family. If you're a parent of six kids, you'll never take a poll. <laughs> I mean, right? You can't do anything for everyone, you know? If you're in a large family, my guess is the kids show up to dinner and they just hope the bowl gets around to them with something left. <laughs> Don't care what it is, just something. And again, I'm not saying it's wrong to have small families or to have less kids, but the idea is the more often we get what we want, the more often we get to decide what we have, the more often we get to choose, the easier it is to complain and be disappointed that we don't get what we want. And the more often that we get what we want, the more often we think we should get what we want. And the more often that we get what we want, then begin any time we don't get what we thought we should have, we begin to think, well, I, I'm the center of the plot, right? And if I'm the center of the plot, then I have a right to complain. And then we feel like we get to complain about anything that's not the way that we want it to be or think it should be. And ultimately, we begin to turn our complaints against God because, God, why isn't my life the way I think it should be? And we allow ourselves to think that, that we're so important that we're the main character of the story, 
And we think that our happiness and getting what we think is essential is the bottom line. What we have to recognize is you and I are not the focal point of the story. God is the center of the story. He is the main character. God does not exist to serve us. God is not up in heaven all of a sudden going, he's upset again. I better go make Brent happy. No. We exist to serve him. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. We exist to glorify him. He is the main character. We are not. And when we complain, we are putting ourselves in a situation where we are thinking it's all about us and that we are the main character and we keep complaining and we find ourselves disappointed and frustrated with life. So we have to flip that around and we have to get that right in our minds. And we have to get that right in our hearts and recognize that God is the main character. And when we begin to do that, we begin to understand that, that's the start of cutting through the bull of complaining. So let me really quickly give you three ideas that will help us cut through the bull of complaining move past it in our lives, and oh oh my goodness, I'm short on time. So here's the first thought. First thought is this. The goal is zero. Don't allow yourself to decide, I'm just going to complain a little bit. Don't don't justify it and say, I'm only going to complain when it's really necessary. Set the goal to eliminate complaining. And and maybe that doesn't happen by tomorrow, and maybe it doesn't happen in a couple weeks, and maybe not in a couple, but aim for zero. And I know that sounds almost impossible, but listen to these words by an early church leader. He said, do everything without complaining or arguing. It must be possible. So we have to begin to think, how do I do this? How do I begin to look at each and every situation? Maybe it's a relationship and it's not going well. Maybe you have to look at yourself and saying, am I thinking that I'm the center of this relationship? And if I think I'm everything, then then I just get to complain about it. And we go into having these preconceived ideas or, or predicting how we think it's going to go wrong. And when we begin to think it's going to go wrong, it probably will. My boss is going to yell at me for dumb things. Yeah, probably will. Neighbor's dog is going to bark again. Yeah, he'll probably bark again. Ah, this church, it only focuses on helping other people. Yeah, you'll probably feel that way. If you have that, it'll probably happen. The writer says it differently another time. He says this, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. So this week, before you complain, before you make a comment, hold your tongue for a moment and just think, will this be helpful? Will this be beneficial? Will this build others up? And if it is, speak on. And if not, hold back. And the goal should be zero. Second thought, if we're going to cut through the bull, uh, those of you that are running the slides back there, just hold on to your button pusher because we're going to go fast, uh, is not complaining allows us to become more like Jesus. Jesus was perfect and blameless. We go back to the Philippians and it says this. Philippians says, do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become pure, blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation. If you and I are followers of Jesus, if we have accepted the forgiveness that he offered, his death on the cross, our calling is to become like him in every way. And this is telling us if we want to become pure and blameless, a huge part of that is to get beyond complaining and arguing. So we can recognize that call as either a burden or we can see it as a motivation to recognize if we can make this a part of our life, we can begin to experience a life that is better and that the people around us will have a better life because suddenly our day will be full of joy and purpose.
as we'll be pursuing becoming like Jesus. Last thought about cutting through the bull is this, is choose to focus and celebrate no matter what. Because if you're going to celebrate no matter what, it requires focusing and finding something that is good. Identifying something that is good that you can give your attention to. So maybe you're thinking, you know what? My car is old and it's beat up and it's lacking Bluetooth. You can focus on those things or you could decide to focus on the fact that you have a car. Maybe your kid isn't listening or following your advice. You could focus there or you could focus on the fact that and celebrate that God gives you the opportunity to live your life in such a way that you can be an example of how to honor Jesus with your life and then pray that your kid sees that it matters to you. Focus that. If your hamburger arrives and it's cold and there's too many pickles, politely, politely explain, hey, uh, cold, too many pickles. Don't focus on the laziness of the cook and the slowness of the server. Focus and celebrate it on the fact that, that you have so much money, you can actually pay people to make your food and deliver it to your table. Paul said this, but even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and serving coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Basically, he's like, I have poured out my life. I have given everything. I have been wrung out. I have been used up. And it's all been for the good of others. And so rather than complaining, he's like, listen, I have given all that I can give for the benefit of these around me. So he's like, I can either focus on that or I can focus on what God is doing in their life and the faith that has grown through that. In our lives, we can focus on the things that are wrong, or we can say, God, would you help me pay attention and reveal the things in my life that are worthy of celebrating? Make that the focus. Decide that the cost of complaining is too high and the destruction that it brings is simply not worth it. And determine that we're going to cut through the bull and move past allowing ourselves to complain. And every week we put in your program these green connect cards. We just challenge you to think through what it is that you're going to do based on what you've heard this morning. So maybe your next step this, this morning is to evaluate where, when, and what you complain about. Maybe your next step is that you need to take a break com from complaining on social media for, and you determine how many weeks. Maybe that's where you complain and you just need to stop. Maybe your next, next step is to ask a friend to let you know when they hear you complaining. Just let me know. I want to change this. Let me know. And maybe your next step is to daily identify three items in your life that you can be thankful for and that you can celebrate. Band's going to come and play one last song, but I would just challenge you. If you find yourself making excuses for why it's okay to complain, just cut it. Stop it. Find a way to stop complaining. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for all that you do for us and all the ways that you love us. God, would you help us to stop complaining? Would you help us to see how it hurts your heart and how ultimately it's not helping our lives at all? Give us the strength to focus in on who you are and all that you've done for us. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.